The World This Week. I'm Steve Young, CBS News, reporting on the CBS radio network. The earthquake that struck Guatemala last Wednesday was powerful, but not the worst to hit Central or Latin America. But it was one of the most widespread. Officials now confirm at least 12,000 known dead, and the ultimate death toll could be twice as high. Misery following the disaster is very widespread, as CBS News correspondent Bernard Goldberg reports from Guatemala City. At least 100,000 Guatemalans, maybe as many as 200,000, are without homes. Victims of Wednesday's pre-dawn earthquake that devastated much of the Central American nation. Hardest hit are the outlying villages in the Guatemalan mountains. Some, like San Pedro, were leveled. Nothing is left standing. Now there is only rubble where adobe houses used to be. On Friday, a major aftershock, resulting in more damage to structures weakened in the initial quake. But in many villages already ruined, the new tremors could do little more than shift the rubble. Many of the homeless live in tents made of blankets and sheets. They live in parks, plazas, and on street corners. And the government is establishing refugee camps. Besides finding new housing for the quake's victims, the major problems are the scarcity of food and water in some sections. But despite the adversity, there is no panic. Most of the capital, Guatemala City, was not damaged. Officials estimate maybe 20 to 30 percent of the city was hit hard. But as always seems to be the case, the hardest hit are the poorest. Their adobe houses the flimsiest. And what little they had is gone. Bernard Goldberg, CBS News, Guatemala City. The news from Peking left American China watchers in and out of government stunned. Since the death of Premier Zhou Enlai, it had been widely and, as it turned out, wrongly assumed that Zhou's successor would be Deng Xiaoping. But instead, an obscure vice premier, Hua Guofeng, number 11 in the hierarchy, has been named acting premier. It is a portentous development and hard at this point to assess. First, a background report from Mike Chinoy in Hong Kong. He first moved onto China's national political stage during the Cultural Revolution of the late 1960s and last year was elected vice premier and minister of security. In October, he took charge of China's massive drive to mechanize its agriculture by 1980. And since Zhou Enlai's death, he has been one of only two Chinese leaders publicly greeting visiting foreign dignitaries. The 54-year-old Hua comes from Chairman Mao's native province of Hunan. So far, he has not been openly identified with either side in the ongoing debate between the moderates and radicals in China's top leadership. Mike Chinoy for CBS News, Hong Kong. As to why Hua, Adok Barnett of the Brookings Institution thinks the reason may be internal Chinese politics. There might be a right-left struggle in China, and he's come in as sort of a transitional uh, man to keep control of the situation. Uh, conceivably, however, uh, there might have been a falling out between Deng Xiaoping and Mao Zedong, and, and uh, Mao may have turned to a man from his home province in a key uh, police sort of position to sort of take over in that kind of situation. The development makes even more significant the invitation from the Chinese for Richard Nixon to revisit China, a journey Nixon plans to make in two weeks to the chagrin of the Ford administration and satisfaction of the Chinese. The news from the government of the Netherlands today may cause an upheaval on the figurehead monarchy of the Dutch. The socialist premier went on TV tonight to say that that high-ranking Dutch official said by the vice chairman of Lockheed Aircraft Corporation to have received a payment of more than a million dollars is none other than Prince Bernhard, husband of Queen Juliana and inspector general of the armed forces. A government investigation is promised. 
Prince Bernhard has said he got no money. The premier says even though the government concluded he did, that does not mean Prince Bernhard is guilty of reprehensible acts. To the great relief of Great Britain and France, Transportation Secretary William Coleman has decided to permit a 16-month evaluation period during which six daily flights will be allowed by the supersonic transport Concorde to airports in New York and Washington. The controversial decision was applauded by British Trade Minister Gerald Kaufman. Secretary Coleman has shown that the United States government is not going to be stampeded by emotional appeals of one kind or another, but is going to judge situations on factual evidence. And what Mr. Secretary Coleman has proved is that the United States remains a fair and good friend. Coleman's decision will not prevail without the endorsement of regional officials, many of them critical of it, as is Clifford Deed, who lives near a runway at Kennedy Airport in New York and heads a group opposed to the SST. He forgot to the people in this area, we also made our decision, and our decision happens to be just the opposite of his, and our decision will prevail. I'm, I'm, we will not let that plane into JFK as long as it makes such a horrendous noise as it does. This is just another case of government by bureaucracy instead of government by our elected representatives. After generating his own sonic boom at the United Nations, U.S. Ambassador Daniel Moynihan announced his resignation apparently concluding he no longer had the active support of State Secretary Henry Kissinger. Moynihan has come under some government criticism for his blunt defense of U.S. interests in the face of attacks from the Third World. But the tactic has won Moynihan popular praise and possibly the opportunity to run as Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate from New York. Officially, Moynihan insists he's just homesick for Harvard. I'm going back to teach. Um, if things like this come up later, I guess I'd have to think about it, uh, but no one has spoken with, no, no person in the, in the party has spoken with me about this subject. I've been really an ambassador in a kind of an overseas post, I mean, leaving the door open without in any way trying to open it myself. To the surprise of many in Washington, liberal Democrats this week managed to defeat the natural gas decontrol bill authored by Texas conservative Democrat Bob Kruger. The bill that passed was formulated by the chairman of a subcommittee on energy and power, Michigan Congressman John Dingell. What we did was we overturned the oil and gas industry, saved the ratepayers somewhere between five and twenty billion dollars a year in additional charges for natural gas, assured that there will be a newer and fairer system of regulation and we provided that we would let the little independents who find 75% of the gas out from under regulation. Representative Kruger was unhappy with the bill that passed. What we have passed is nothing, because there's no way that this will ever become law. And I think that people should remember this when a year from now, the natural gas shortages are a great deal worse than they are at present. That We passed an item of legislation which was overwhelmingly turned down in the Senate which has no realistic chance of becoming law, which passed by margin of two votes because some people felt it would be politically more comfortable to vote for this bill. But it's a sad day for the nation. This week, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Frank Church, suggested there should be a special prosecutor to investigate the operations of the CIA and the FBI. 
It is considered doubtful that Senator Church, who said he was speaking personally, can get the support of his full committee for a Watergate-type special prosecutor to investigate evidence of criminal activity by U.S. intelligence agencies. The latest charge about the CIA came today from Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat, who said the CIA and Israel have fomented the civil war in Lebanon as a plot against the Lebanese, Palestinians, and Arabs. One of the more intriguing stories concerning the world of intelligence comes this week from Moscow. U.S. Ambassador Walter Stessel held a secret staff meeting reportedly to say that the Soviets were using some form of radiation to bombard and thereby bug the building. Employees reportedly were given the option to seek reassignment if they wish, although it is understood that Stessel told them the radiation was below the danger level. The State Department in Washington and the U.S. Embassy in Moscow have not confirmed the story that first surfaced yesterday in the Los Angeles Times, but they have not denied the report either. And that's The World This Week, produced by Harry Pelosian. This is Steve Young, CBS News.